0: If you've got a church Bible in front of you and you want to turn to the reading, we're reading Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. It's on page 1136. I will read the whole chapter, but there's quite a lot in here, so we won't focus. You'll be glad to know on everything that is in this chapter, but we'll just pull out a couple of themes from it. It's entitled, Warning to Pay Attention. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he has suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make their pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children that God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he makes atonement for sins for the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Over the summer, we went to the Keswick Convention. And we went on a boat trip one afternoon around Derwentwater Water. Um, the, the lake that's just outside Keswick. And we went on a motorboat, being far too lazy to row. We decided that a motorboat was the best idea. And we hired this boat for an hour which meant that we could go right the way around. If you know Dermot Water, it's not a massive lake, but it's quite big. And it takes about an hour to get round it in a boat. So off we set, sun was shining, beautiful day. We got um, probably 20 minutes into our hour's trip, and we were right out in the middle of the lake when the engine cut out. What do you do when your engine's cut out and there's no oars, and you don't know who you've hired the boat off? Thankfully, thankfully Claire's phone had reception, so we were looking online for where we'd hired the boat from. And we gave them a ring. And they said, don't worry, we'll come and rescue you. So a few minutes later, this rescue boat, you know, it's like something out of a movie, careering across dormant Water to rescue us. They come, they get the engine going, and they tell us how to do it if it cuts out again. So we carry on. We're now at the furthest point away from anything, right in the middle of the lake. What happens? The engine cuts out for the second time. And... Being far too proud, I have to confess that at this moment, to ring again, we start to try and get the boat going. Now what's happening at this point is the boat starts to drift. And at first you don't notice it, then suddenly you realise the island that looked quite a long way away is now looking quite close. And the boat is drifting towards it. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 2 follows straight on from the argument that we had in chapter 1 about angels being superior, uh, sorry, Jesus being superior to the angels. And um, the the ancient Greek that Hebrews is written is is very eloquent, it's very elegant, but sometimes the chapter and verse numbers disrupt the flow a little. They were actually put in um, by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton, in the 13th century while he was riding a horse. And sometimes they don't quite do justice to the flow of what's happening. So don't lose, if you were here last week, don't lose the the topic that we were looking at. This is all in relation to Jesus being superior to the angels. If you were here last week, we were looking at that in relation to Jesus being God's final word. The final word that is spoken to us and how that impacts our everyday living. But also how that impacts the world in which we live and the whole creation. And hasn't this last week just brought that into focus? That God, through his son, is the final word. You know, we've already been praying and hearing this morning about the coronavirus that is now um, a pandemic across the world. Yet we still are called to hold on to the truth that Jesus is God's final word. That God is sovereign, even in the midst of all the suffering looking at this last week that's taken place and the billions and if not trillions of pounds that have been wiped off stock markets those things that everybody thought was so secure we now find that it's not much of our life is built on sand if we don't root it on the Lord Jesus Christ so in light of all that we heard in chapter one in light of Jesus being God's final word we then get to chapter two and there is a word that is used in this first verse that is really important. Now if you've got anything other than a church bible, you'll probably have the therefore at the beginning of the sentence. But for some reason the, the whatever translation the Church Bible is sticks it in the middle. So we get we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Therefore is a really key word in the book of Hebrews, because it always means, because something really important has taken place, because with the, te- the person who's written this book has taught us something incredibly significant, therefore put it into practice in this way. And so the therefore, because Jesus is God's final word, because Jesus is superior in every way to the angels, therefore don't drift. Therefore, don't ignore all that Jesus has said. And so, first of all, in this um, passage, what we get is a bit of a parallel made by the writer between the law and the Gospels. The message declared by angels is here a reference to the law. Um, If you are very, uh, or have the mind, or for whatever reason, suddenly find yourself with a lot of time on your hands over the next few weeks and you want to go and look up in what is the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint that was around at the time when Hebrews was written, you might want to turn to Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, where it is translated in the Greek, when the Lord came from Sinai, at his right hand were angels with him. It doesn't read like that in our Bibles at all, but that was the Bible they were using at the time. And so what we find is this is picked up by other writers in the New Testament. Paul in Galatians explained that the law was ordained by angels. Acts, in the book of Acts, Stephen in his great sermon describes the law as being delivered by angels. And so the point of all this is saying, actually, if the law that was delivered by angels was so binding that there were punishments attached to it, how much more significant is it that we hold on to the gospel that has been brought to us through the Lord Jesus Christ? The law was given through grace. If you were here last Sunday night, we were looking at the prologue, Of John's gospel and we were seeing like at the end of that how actually the law was a grace gift it showed us people how to live in the holiness of God and in the presence of God but the gospel is grace upon grace and so we're encouraged not to drift not to drift now this is not about salvation or eternal security this is about discipleship drift whereas followers of Jesus we find ourselves being pulled away from Christ into other things And the word for drift that's used here does have the suggestion of the boat drifting along with the current. It could also be a word that's used to describe a jug that has had water in it but has developed a leak, and so the water slowly dribbles out. It's also a word that has been used for a ring that slides off a finger, you know, that's not quite held on properly. And drifting is something that happens naturally. You know, the boat that we were in drifted, and just in case you're wondering what happened in that story... (laughs) We did get the engine going again. We didn't have to be rescued, and we did return very safely back to Keswick. I don't know if you ever have these mornings where um, you get up and you've got absolutely nothing to do all day. (laughs) We may have some in the weeks that are coming ahead of us. Just occasionally, very occasionally, I wake up, and this is not me, just in case you're wondering, a miracle has happened and my hair has returned. But you wake up and you think, actually, I have got no plans for today. There is nothing I need to do. I can't think of the last time that happened, but you just may have one of those days. If you are blessed with one of those days, what you find happens, though, is you tend to drift. You potter about. You do this and that and the other. Now, that's good every now and again, isn't it? Um, The writer and preacher Roy Searle um, talks about how, as Christians, we we need to um, be mindful of being potterers. You know, people who will take Sabbath rest and, and just potter about and, and enjoy the world that God has given us. But if you have no purpose for long periods of time, it starts to cause real problems, doesn't it? We start to find that life ceases to have any kind of structure and meaning to it. So what's the point here about drift? Well, I think it's that drifting, if we're not deliberately going against it, is something that happens in all kinds of areas of life, isn't it? If you don't put a lot of effort into your work life or if you're studying into your studies, it's not long before drift comes in there. You know, if, you're, if you made a commitment in January to go to the gym two times a week, I'm guessing many of us by now may have drifted a little and we're only going once a week or we're not going at all. Because things in life, unless we're really, really deliberate, They drift. Nowhere is this more critical, the writer says, than in our relationship with the Lord. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we have to want to get closer to him. We have to want to get to know him more. We have to be deliberate in our discipleship. Now, sometimes God does break into our experience unexpectedly and miraculously. And let's not rule that out. and Let's be open to that. You know, Paul on the road to Damascus was not expecting to encounter God. Yet God breaks into his, um, his life in an incredible way. But what does Paul have to do after then? He has to study. He has to get to know other Christians. He has to be discipled. He has to be deliberate about his faith. We won't drift closer to God by accident. You won't drift into a deeper prayer life by accident. We will only ever drift away from God. You know, if you want evidence for that, read the beginning of the book of Genesis. See how Adam and Eve, who were in the closest relationship with God before the fall that any human beings have had apart from the Lord Jesus Christ when he was a human being, and they were in this intimate relationship with God in the garden, then it all goes horribly wrong. Within a few chapters, we've had a murder. Within a few more chapters, God is saying, I wished I'd never created this lot, they're so evil. And the flood happens. And we see that that drift has quickly pulled people away from God. You won't drift into accidentally getting to know the Bible more. We won't drift into a deeper prayer life as a church. We will only do it if we're deliberate. Sorry, I'm going all over the place with this. Where am I up to? Deliberate faith. The writer of the Hebrews says, pay most careful attention. That you do not drift. If we want to be successful or, or um skillful in anything, we have to put the effort in, don't we? You know, there are times when I will set myself a task of learning a new piece on the piano, and that requires effort. It means that I have to not do other things in order to put time on one side to practice. But if I don't do it, I won't get any better and I won't keep myself sort of fresh as a musician. And it was a stark reminder, I read something a while ago about how much Mozart practiced and how many hours he spent doing all these exercises on the piano. You know, if Mozart had to practice, all of those of us who are musicians in the church, if we want to get better, we need to practice as well. But it's the same, isn't it? It's the same in anything in life. We need intentionality and discipline. In our relationships, if we want those to flourish, we need to put effort in. You know, if you've got a friend, or if you're in a marriage relationship this morning, if you want that relationship to grow, you need to put effort in. It was my birthday this week, and on my birthday, I got a text from my friend Ralph. And we have been friends since I was about 18, so um, just a few years. And we haven't seen each other, probably for about 18 months. Just because neither of us are very good at making contact, and we occasionally speak on the phone. We used to live about a mile away from each other. We used to attend the same church, and we used to see each other regularly. But we now live quite a distance apart. And in this text, both of us said, we must catch up. We must meet up. How often do we say that to friends? We must meet up. The danger is, neither of us will remember to do it. If we want to meet up, if we want to catch up, if we want to hear where each other's up to, we're going to have to put some effort in. We're going to have to be really deliberate about it. In our love and our knowledge of Jesus, the writer encourages us to pay the most careful attention. To dig deep, to drill down, to listen to what God is saying. Now, the danger for the Hebrews, their drift was not our drift. Their drift was probably that they would get sucked back into going back to the synagogue, to the respectability of Jewish worship, to put in on one side the gospel. Now, that isn't our drift. We are not going to do that. But we may drift away from being deliberate disciples of Jesus. Most people who I know who, for whatever reason, have stopped going to church and stopped being active Christians haven't woken up one morning and made a wholesale rejection of the gospel. But what they've done is drifted, drifted away bit by bit, little by little. In my own life, and you know, I spot this in myself as, as well. The first thing that tends to go is the dedication to prayer. To private study, those things that you only do on your own between you and God. If you're drifting in that area today, can I encourage you to get back on track? To develop those holy and healthy habits that get us into God's word, that keep us praying. But then it's not long before, once that has gone, that we then stop prioritizing, say, praying with other Christians, our prayer triplet, or small group, whatever it is. And then before long, we've started drifting in terms of coming to church or being plugged into church communities. Now, it doesn't mean the gospel has been rejected. It doesn't necessarily mean that we've turned our back on Jesus. But we're just allowing ourselves to be the boat, just drifting bit by bit further away. Sometimes there are issues that can cause us to drift, cause us to sort of be pulled away. Don't be surprised over these next few months if drift becomes a real issue for us as a church as it becomes more difficult for us to meet, as many of us may find that we have to isolate ourselves. And it's something we're going to have to really work at as a church leadership to ensure that we are plugged in and that we keep encouraging one another spiritually. But there can be all kinds of things that cause drift in our life. You know, like for that boat on the lake, the wind was causing drift. If we'd got near to where the River Derwent flows out of the lake, we may have gone with it, and we may now be somewhere in the middle of the Irish Sea. There may be issues today that actually are causing drift in your own life. It might be that you've had a personal tragedy and you've not really dealt with it. You've not really addressed it and it's it's actually pulling you away from the gospel. It's actually pulling you away from relationship with Jesus. It might be a personal relationship. It might be a relationship that's broken down in church in some way. And it's just pulling you, causing you to drift. You know, in our lives, we all carry scars, don't we? And they may cause us to drift, but many of us actually, if we're honest this morning, are carrying open wounds. They will pull us. They will cause us to drift. You know, as evangelical churches, I sometimes think we're we're good at trying to work out what the right answers are from the Bible. And that is great that we do that. It's really important that we do that. But I wonder, are we as good at wrestling with the scriptures in the brokenness of our world, of listening to how the Spirit would speak to us? Because, you see, we look at what Jesus did, how Jesus ministered. When he met with Zacchaeus, he didn't just tell him a correct answer. He got alongside him. He gave him dignity and worth. He ministered to him and spoke to him, and the result was transformation. The Samaritan woman at the well. Or we think of the woman who had been bleeding for many years. What did Jesus do? He didn't just let her be healed and walk off. He turned to her, spoke with her, gave her dignity, brought her back into community. I've been um, on a minister's conference this week with the Northwest Baptist Association. Phil Jump, one of the regional ministers, said this, and I think this really struck with me. Our struggles are not always the barriers that God has called us to overcome, but the place in which our relationship with God can be nourished and nurtured. It's sometimes when we face a, a, a trouble in life, when we face something, we think, I've got to overcome this and then I'll find God. And actually Jesus comes alongside us and says, I'm with you in the midst of this. Draw close to me now. Don't let this situation drag you away. Pull you away. I am here with you. So how do we keep going? How do we prevent drift in our lives? I want to offer two very, very practical things to do. And one is a deliberate action. I want to challenge all of us to something. I don't often do this, but something very specific this morning. And it's this. Will you this week commit to either 10 minutes or an extra 10 minutes, reading the Bible and praying Something really simple, 10 minutes. If you don't know what to read, read Mark's Gospel. Start at the beginning and read two chapters a day and just keep going. If you don't know what to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer that we've been looking at and pray for those things as you go through it. Now, for many of you, you may already be spending half an hour in prayer. Spend 40 minutes. If you're spending two hours, spend two hours and 10 minutes. You know, It, it sort of works out incrementally. But for some of us, that might be a new thing. We're not doing it. Don't expect to drift closer to God unless we're putting the effort in. So I kind of challenge you to do that this week, to draw near, to draw near to God in full assurance of faith, knowing that we are his children. And the second thing is having an honest faith. You know, there's absolutely nothing to be gained by wearing a false smile, apart from it might keep the wrinkles away. But there is nothing to be gained, is there, by pretending everything is okay when it isn't? I've said this before, and I will say it again probably quite a lot. It is okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. It is perfectly human to find ourselves drifting and struggling. It is not human to think that we have all the right answers all of the time and to not need one another. That is God's domain. If we feel we're there, we need to be a bit more humble with ourselves. Will we have that honest faith that allows us to be pulled back? Verse 4, he then goes on to argue that the signs and wonders, the miracles of Jesus' own ministry, and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit used in the life of the church, all give evidence for the importance of the gospel and all remind us to keep focused on Jesus. There's an awful lot in this passage. Like I said, we won't have time to go through all of it um, this morning, but I just want us to, to look towards the end of the chapter i don't know if you ever find yourself using phrases when you're talking to somebody like oh i know what that's like i know what you're going through do we ever find ourselves using those phrases when we're talking with people you know i sometimes find myself saying things like that and then i wonder why i've said it if i ever said that i don't know what you're going through i i I can't really understand somebody else's situation But I think at the heart of it is the desire to empathize. And empathy is a great thing, isn't it, when we can empathize with one another. The writer of the Hebrews wants us to know that we are not alone in the world. Even in these coming weeks, even if many of us will become slightly isolated from one another, we are not alone. We will never be alone. Jesus is with us. He will never leave us. Or forsakers. And today, if you're already listening to this online, I know there's a number of our church community who have already had to self-isolate. If you are listening to this online, just know that actually you are not alone whenever you're listening to this. Jesus is with you. We're not alone in facing temptations to either drift away from God or actively walk away in disobedience. Because Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is superior to every name under heaven and earth, is with us. Jesus himself was tempted, verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus was fully human, he knows what it is like. He knows the frailness of our human condition. Jesus didn't um, come to the earth and read, you know, those Haynes manuals. I don't know, you can still get them for cars and read the Haynes manual for what it's like to be a human being, and then sort of give us advice based on that. He became one of us. He knows exactly what it is like. He knows what it is like to have the temptations of drift and pull and dragging our lives away from God. The only difference with Jesus is he didn't give in to any of it. He didn't fall in to those traps. When we pray to Jesus, lead us not into temptation. We pray to our advocate with the Father, who understands exactly what we are going through. Verse 14, he too shared their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. What encouraging news that the power of death, the power of the devil is defeated. Verse 17 tells us that he had to become like us so that he can understand what we go through. And yet he remained perfect and so was able to be offered as a perfect atoning sacrifice, and we'll remember that sacrifice just in a few moments as we come to communion. Further on in Hebrews, there is this verse, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus knows the danger of drift. He just didn't do it. Jesus knows the pull of sin. He just didn't give in. Jesus is able to help us and sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So I just want to leave you with that question, those challenges from a few moments ago. I'll put them back on the screen. If we can get there. There we go. Would you commit this week to those deliberate actions? That reading the Bible? That praying? Would you commit to being honest when we are facing those struggles. Let's make it our prayer that that is our desire as we face what are going to be uncertain times in the days ahead. But knowing that Jesus, our great high priest, walks with us. Let's pray.